encouraged, not burdened by the history that they create. They know what is expected of them. They are Manchester United. Nathan Heinschel and Casey Evans returns to the Busby Bay podcast. Uh, Casey, how how's this World Cup been going for you? It's been good. It's been tiring. It's one of those ones where, like, when you're in it, when you're in the mixer, you're enjoying it, you're having fun, and then you wake up the next morning and you're like, I'm, I can't do this again. And then you just like you, you pull yourself together, get a coffee, <laughs> and just sit through it all over again, <laughs> and the cycle continues. But yeah, I've been all right. A little bit of magic spray. Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan, Michael Secret Juice, or whatever it was from Space Jam. Yeah, the uh, secret stuff. Secret stuff, that's it. I yeah. couldn't remember from that. I uh, I had the flu for like the first week of the World Cup. So it kind of, it was like a nice week to just be stuck sitting in bed or on the couch. I got to watch pretty much every game. And this week it's been weird, like, because I've been doing some writing for SB Nation on the World Cup. And I've had to work all of the watching the World Cup and writing into my resuming regular work schedule as well. So it has been a little bit of a tiring week in terms of that. But Hey, uh, Colin, are you taking comfort in the fact that there's somebody with an English accent on the podcast right now? Do you, do you feel like uh, you're not being ganged up on now? Look, um, we can talk England-USA if you guys want to, but um, <laughs> after the draw, I was mostly looking forward to not having to talk about it anymore. Um because I was supremely annoyed by that game. <laughs> it was one of the most boring games I think I've watched in my life. Like I was watching it with some friends and my my friend who was sat next to me on the sofa literally fell asleep for half an hour. Like he just couldn't he, he was he was obviously tired anyway, but he was like, What did I miss? And I was like, Yeah, like half an hour. You know, did anything happen? I went header maybe. <laughs> yeah, it was it was really weird experiencing like the rest of American sports Twitter watching that game. You know, so p- people who like maybe ESPN personalities or the athletic writers who normally follow like NFL, NBA, or that's what they write about or podcast about. And they're so excited that the U.S. one is not losing, but two, like, you know, sort of controlling the game at times and getting forward and taking shots on goal. And then also seeing like the rest of football Twitter kind of sprinkled in like, maybe the U S shouldn't be taking these shots. Like these are not very good opportunities that they're trying to take advantage of. Um, Christian Pulisic is not as good as people think he is things like that. So um, Tyler Adams, though, I think there's getting a, respect there's from a, everyone, yeah. universal respect for Tyler Adams. Yeah. I, yes. I've been really impressed by Tyler Adams. I think he's been good. Um, but the I think whole, like the, the sp- midfield. Uh, yeah, no, I think Weston McKinney's actually been quite good as well. Yeah. But I think, I think the whole, the whole problem with American Twitter uh, on terms of football, and I'm saying this on an American podcast, so in ge- I'm going to enjoy the responses <laughs> to this. Um, but in general, I feel like you're you you've just seen what a kind of good team looks like in terms of the American sports. Like this is probably the best team that you've had, more well, I can remember, and maybe I think since like the start of the World Cup, where you came third with like Gaitchins and that, but. Um, so yeah, fifty years there, right? Great, best team you've had in like hundred years of football. We all but remember in, um, where we were when we took third <laughs> in the nineteen fifty World Cup. Um, but in the sense that uh, I feel like 
you're kind of get the, the, the you're not quite aware of where you are in the football space yet. I don't think our group was particularly hard, and I also think that when we when you played us, we weren't particularly good, like in terms of where we should be. So I feel like you'll be like, oh, we're playing quite well. Like you are playing quite good football, but then you'll be like, oh, we're about to play the Netherlands, who are good at this, and we're go- and we're going to have to play like Argentina if we beat them, who are good at this, so on and so forth. And it's like, oh, this is going to just going to hit one of these teams and be like, oh, okay, that that's 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 a good football team. We're kind of we're not bad, but we're not that. And then there's the little space in between where you find where you are, and then I think. That's the thing with this team because it's young. Over maybe the next couple of tournaments, you'll probably get that sort of bearing. Yeah, See, K- Casey's with me. Then I told you that before the the World Cup started, Colin. Like this was all about vibes. If they got out of the group, this is all about gaining experience for twenty twenty six. I will say, in relation to that, now that the dust has settled in the group, that uh, draw against Wales is looking worse and worse. Um, but then again, it's also it's a young team; they're figuring it out. Um, there's parts of it that are pretty exciting. So, yeah, I mean, and it, then there's Shaq, Shaq Mason, or, or um, no, not Shaq Mason. Oh God, uh, Shaq Moore. Shaq, Shaq Mason plays in the NFL <laughs> or played in the NFL. Does he still play in the NFL? I don't know. Yes, he does. But okay, um, cool. yeah, I mean, I was watching. Uh, you pointed out the Wales game and that draw not looking very good. I was watching the Iran game. I mean, they had the side by side TVs. To, for me, I was the like the only person in the bar that requested the England game. Um, what? But, in Mississippi, nobody else wanted to watch the England game. Yeah, right. There were barely people there for the U.S. game. There was still a sizable group of us, but um, it felt like I was watching the Wales game over again. The way that the U.S. kind of looked much the better team and in control in the first half, and you know maybe they could have scored one or two more. And then they kind of faded in the second half. It was almost like Greg Berberhalter knew how to set up the team to start this game, but then he didn't really know what he needed to do to see things out. And then he got thrown the curveball of Christian Pulisic goes down. Um, and, you know, as as much as we say that he's kind of struggled in this World Cup, he is still vital to what the U.S. tries to do in attack. So that kind of threw things off. And then Iran pushed basically throughout the second half to try and equalize. So I thought they were a little bit lucky not to concede again to Iran, but at at the same time, we've seen three straight really good midfield performances from the U S and I think that's something they haven't really done before, at least in my lifetime. Usually it's their wide players and their wide forwards that are good. And they just try to hoof the ball forward to them. It's amazing how much we've grown up since uh, Michael Bradley, but um this feels like enough U.S. talk now that I've brought up Michael yeah. Bradley. How are you feeling about Senegal, Casey? Um, I'm feeling I'm feeling all right. I think it's 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 an all right draw. I mean, it's and it's kind of one of those teams where you expect to win. Um, I mean, again, it's football. You can I can say I, I expect to win, and it won't happen because as as I've already said, England have the possibility to just completely and not only just not do the things that they should do. Um, and it depends on the lineup we play because we kind of the the thing with the um, the last game against Wales was it was kind of like a free hit, so you saw a lot of you saw four major changes, and the problem is those four major changes all played pretty well. Like 
And now you're in the sense of, well, do they stay in? Do we make changes? Does Raheem Sterling come back in? I think Saka definitely has to come back in. I've seen a lot of people saying, oh, drop Saka, drop Sterling, bring in Rashford and Foden. And I'm like, Saka's been very good. Like when we were playing badly against the uh, uh, United States, he was still always finding space, always getting on the ball, always looking positive. And even though we weren't good, I thought he was good. Um, so, and yeah. I'm hoping it's good. I, I think the pace they have up front will be interesting because one of the things that I've noticed about this World Cup and that people don't usually notice is no one's actually called Harry Maguire slow yet um, <laughs> because I feel like we've actually controlled, yeah. well, by the, by the guy named Parliament. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> I was going to say. But, yeah, the Harry Maguire scene is still yeah. definitely out there, but I mean, yeah, I think he's played well enough at this World Cup so far, though, I mean, you obviously justify keeping him in the squad. He was, I think he was one of the more standout center backs, may it be, that we've seen in the group stage so far. And part of that, though, is because there is all this unfair attention on literally everything he does and every time he touches the ball. Yeah. So, I, but yeah, no one's really like made the point of, oh, we can't play in a high line. We have to be playing with a really high line, which is something that I've kind of noted in my head, but I was like, I'm not going to say anything about it until after Senegal because Senegal have Melissar and uh, Diata, who are both incredibly mobile wingers. Um, both they're very fast and also they're very good on the ball and can weave in and out, which is the sort of sort of sort of ball which you're like, oh, I do not want them running straight at um, John Stones and Harry Maguire completely unprotected because Declan Rice has decided to run up the pitch with everyone else, which he can do at times, which is something yeah. that. It's still one of those things of like the number six problem in England is such a big thing. And I think many people have said the time is, is that the problem with like how other countries develop their midfields and we develop our midfields is that if anyone has any technical on ball quality, we encourage them to get forward. We either move them forward or encourage them to get forward. So you never actually create a player who's like sitting in front of the the mid, midfield and controlling stuff. Um that's, that's, point. that's by the by Phil Foden. <laughs> yeah. Uh but yeah, I I, I I am cautiously optimistic. Um but we'll have to see. I think one of the changes that Southgate made against Wales that I uh, kind of to your midfield point that I could see going forward is Jordan Henderson coming in for Mason Mount. I feel like a lot of people obviously were not excited about Jordan Henderson when he came into the US game. Right. But um, what he did do was kind of, you know, institute some semblance of control in a game where it seemed like England were at the risk of losing anything in midfield or everything in midfield. And then he played well against Wales as well. He's somebody who will help uh, in some of the those, you know, the dirty midfield work further back when Declan Rice wants to go forward, when Jude Bellingham wants to go forward. And also, I just haven't really been that impressed with Mason Mount um playing for England so far um it seems like at times he's not sure what he's supposed to do and when he tries to make something happen he just ends up giving the ball away um and it seems like you know maybe a midfield three of players who are a little bit more box to box than Mason Mount is a better link between the talented forwards and the defense for England yeah, I, I, I kind of can see that. Um, Mason Mount is just a weird case. I think he's a talented footballer. I don't mm-hmm. subscribe to the whole everyone going, oh, 
he's yeah. really, really bad. I like him a lot. Game. I like to watch him play. Yeah. It's just, it doesn't, I don't really see how he fits right now. But I, I think that sounds back to club level, that club level don't really understand what Mason Mount is and kind of play him in multiple different roles. Like he plays like the center midfielder who kind of is like moving about. He plays on the right wing. He plays an attacking midfield. He plays on the left. Like he's just everywhere. So I don't know exactly if he knows exactly what he's meant to do or what he wants to be or what people want of him. Um, so we'll have to see with that. But yeah, I, I do get the Henderson point. Um, I don't like Henderson. <laughs> do I know? Um, and I, as I, as you probably noticed that for the podcast viewers, I did point to myself when he said, "Oh, people who groaned when John Henderson came on." Um, but I feel like he just he does he just does a job, and if he's there and it allows the other more, more talented midfielders to do things, then I guess that he's doing his job. So I can't really complain too much. Um, if it was just like, "Oh, John Henderson is the main piece of your midfield." I'd be scared, but it's not. We have Jude Bellingham and we have um, Declan Rice and we have James Madison if he ever decides to ever grace any sort of football pitch so far. Uh, but we'll have to see. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I think I think I agree that that kind of is the midfield we should be going with. And do you guys think that if one of the wide forwards was to be replaced, it, I mean, it seems like Southgate from the start was set with Saka and Sterling flanking Kane. I kind of think there's a chance Rashford could keep his spot over Sterling, just the way that Sterling hasn't looked super influential. He's somebody who's, you know, he continues to finish off moves as well as he can. And he's been one of the best players at doing that over the past decade. But with Rashford kind of a player in form and maybe a player you want more leading a transition than you would want Sterling doing, do you think that, that's that's somebody who could keep his spot given that he scored three goals so far? Or is it one of those situations where it's like, yeah, he scored three goals, but it was you know, one in garbage time and two against Wales? I'll, I'll let you answer the question to the room, Evan. <laughs> well, I, I, I wonder if he's, he's succeeding as kind of a super sub, and, and maybe it's best that you've got Sterling going for 60, 65 minutes, and you've kind of rope-a-doped your opponent, and then you throw Rashford out there to just run with his hair on fire for 30 minutes because there's not a defender that I think in this World Cup that can really keep up with him uh, when he's on it. So, um, I, I know just like seeing how Southgate likes to kind of keep everything in front of, in front of that team and a little bit more defensive-minded, I wonder if he likes – Rashford just in that position of someone that can just go at defenders for the final 30 minutes. And that's why he's so informant is going to be successful in that role. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with that. Um, but then on the flip side, I feel like what we've kind of established in this World Cup is that Harry Kane is not the finisher in the team anymore or how we've been setting up and how we've been playing. He's sort of the guy who links it all together rather than the guy that gets onto the end of it. Um so I feel like he needs to really go with his more consistent forwards around him in terms of goal scoring. And I think that's kind of where Rashford's edge is over Sterling in terms of the next game. Um, so, because I, I still think Sterling has some value in this team. Uh, and I still think, I, I would go um, Rashford, Kane, Saka. I mean, I might be a bit biased because I'm a United fan, but like, um, <laughs> I, I'm just going to say he's got three goals. Like he's played pretty well running onto chances. And also you'd think against Senegal, he'd have enough space to operate in because I feel like 
that's kind of you've also got to play to your opponent as well. Like if it was like, oh, here's a really good, um, here's a world class left back, like Theo. Uh, I say um, it's Theo Hernandez on one side, and I don't know who the right back for France is because that's one of the that's the next stage after that. Is it Pavard? It's not Pavard. Still, it's someone else. I cannot remember. It might be Pavard. I don't know. I, I just I I. I I think that then you're more likely to be like, okay, we need to think about this a little bit deeper. But in terms of the way that we've been playing at the moment, um, I think Kane's kind of been linking up. So you just put the guy who's scoring the most goals. So it's Rashford. Yeah. And um, Casey, I know you've been writing, of course, during this World Cup. And uh, we were talking before the show a little bit about something you're working on now. Do you, with utopian football and uh, particularly Spain, who have, I mean, they started really strong, kind of an eye-catching team at this tournament. Um, I, do, do you want to talk a little bit about that and kind of explain uh, what what your argument was? Well, my, my argument is, is that Spain... I'll, I'll, I'll preface it around Spain because I'll kind of go into my great point when I'm writing. But Spain in the first half had about 560-something passes. Um, they scored a goal... And then they had, in total, about five shots in that first half. And when you're looking at it like that, you're you're kind of thinking, why are they passing it so much? Like, I put it in the, in the article, I just put it as, like, it's like, there's no such thing as a nuclear deterrent in football. There's no such thing as, I'm just very, very good, but I'm not going to kind of show you how good I am. I'm not going to finish off these moves, but you know how good I am, so you won't attack me. Because... Every team's going to be like, well, you've not, you're playing with your food. You're not actually getting on to the end of the moves and going to try and score. And that's what's happened against Japan. Uh, oh, so that was, that's what happened with Japan. Um, and that's what Japan did against Germany as well, I think. Germany were messing about having shots from outside the box. They were having more shots, but they weren't really like working it into the middle because they, didn't, they decided, I'm not going to start my striker in any of the matches. And then they went, oh, okay. Um, now, okay, we're not going to attack and score. So, sweet. But it's kind of the idea of, like, Spain have realised, or Spain, Spanish football since Pep Guardiola kind of made it like that, um, is that if you hold on to the ball for long enough, you can minimise the amount of chances that the other team can create. You control the games, you control the chaotic moments. You can, the other team can only cause you problems if they have the ball. And I feel like Spain have kind of tried that, that against Costa Rica and Costa Rica had no clue how to deal with them. They scored seven goals. Uh, they tried it against Germany. Germany had a better clue how to deal with them. They grew. And then Japan just basically went, okay, we'll, we'll run with 18% possession and we'll just score when we, or we'll just attack in full force when we get the ball. And I don't think Spain have that killer edge, so to speak. And that seems weird to say about a team that scored seven goals in one match in this tournament. But I don't think, like, if you come up against a, on their side of the thing, I think on their side of the draw is going to be uh, England and some, I mean, it's England and I'm trying to, France, so on and so yeah. forth. If they play against a better team that's more put together and stuff, will they still have the same problem if they try and keep it away? They're going to obviously make more mistakes because the, the team's a lot stronger. And is that going to cause them more problems? And that's what I mean, like, they seem to be chasing this style of football and it's whether this style of football works. It's like whether this style of football is what's going to be gets them there. And I feel like 
yeah, I feel like it's just a very caricature version of what Spain succeeded with in 2010 and what Pep Guardiola succeeded with with Barcelona linked into it before that and around that. And it's just kind of like, well, where's the killer edge? Where's the individuals? Who's going to step up if this isn't working and you just need a goal? Like, who's just going to be like, right, I'm going to goal. I'm going around this guy and I'm going to shoot and I'm going to try and get a shot. I'm just going to try and create something outside of this system. And yeah, I just, I'm just not sure on Spain. I've always said this. I've said this before. I said this like a few months back to um, Musa Akongwa, who's from the uh, Stadio. I was just saying, I just do not see Spain getting past the semifinals. I mean, obviously they could hit someone harder before then at the time I went, but I just feel like they'll get in a match where they'll be like, what we are good at is not working. And this is what we, we've strived towards for the entire time we've been together as a group. What do we do now? Who steps up? Who does this? Yeah. So, my, I mean, I could be completely wrong. And that's the beauty of football. But that Japan match kind of cemented it a bit in my mind that I was like, yeah, they just don't, they don't quite, they're a little too confident with what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And it could come back to bite them. I think it's really interesting that those two teams were paired together in a group. And, you know, Spain and Germany, the the match that they played, you you could see how much quality there was in, in both of those sides. And these are two teams that in the first part of the 2010s were like the gold standard in international football. You know, Germany didn't win it until 2014, but they were in or around the semifinals or the finals of every tournament leading up to them for the past 10 years. Spain won three consecutive major tournaments playing this way. And they had David Villa, who was kind of the, the killer, I guess you would say, uh, to get them those goals. Germany had Miroslav Klose. Now, I, I would say I, the, there are still a lot of players that, you know, I, I think legacies factor into this as well, but the quality of players hasn't necessarily nosedived for either of these teams. It's just that they haven't found themselves in the same way that those teams did. They have, they're, they're, not, they're not the teams that are dictating the way that international football is played at these tournaments in the way that Spain were in 2010 and then I, I would say Germany 2014. Yeah, I wrote about a bit about this on my newsletter. Uh, I kind of was obviously looking at the, I was looking at how football teams played in the 21st century, all the favourites, and the two that I did, I just did a giant article on Spain and Germany. I was like, look, Spain played like the teams that were playing really well in the in the late 22, like 2000s, early 2010s, Pep Guardiola football. Germany played well in 2014, also Pep Guardiola football. I hate to say it, like I always hate to give credit to him because mm-hmm. he's caused two of the most painful experiences of my life, which are City being good now and oh sorry, no, three, two Barcelona finals. Right. Um but, one a little bit more painful than the other, I would say, of those finals. But twenty twenty twenty, 20, 20 yeah, twenty eleven, fair enough. We were terrible. I'll accept that. Like we it, you could have put up against like Evan against us and I would have been like, Yeah, they probably would win because we just could not do anything. 2009, I'm angry. I'm fuming still. Um, But yeah, so... But they're defining it. And I just feel like this is what I'm trying to say. Like Spain haven't, and Germany haven't got out of that mindset. They're still those same teams that they were in 2010, 2014. And they're just like, oh, we still have some of the same players. We still have some of the... um, We've moved on the coaches, but the coaches are kind of like, 
in the same way of going like, oh, I'm just going to play the football that's very prevalent in my league. Um, and it's just kind of like, do something different. Like, try something different. <laughs> Maybe play players in their positions and not <laughs> not Havertz at striker with Thomas Muller behind him with the mm. bow trying to find space that neither is making for each other. And it's like, yeah, it's just a, a little bit of a mess. And I feel like, obviously, Spain... The, there was a point last night for 75 seconds where they were both going out, and I don't feel like that... I feel like it's kind of been glanced over because Spain went through. But the fact that that was a thing and both of those teams were considered to be quite heavy favourite is quite concerning. But that is the way the tournament's gone at the moment. I feel like we're going to get into a bit of the tournament the whole at some point. So, um, But, yeah... I just feel like there's just that they were both missing an edge and Germany kind of lost out on it. But it's just the way the cookie crumbles that the Spain scored seven goals in one match but had the exact same points. And it's kind of mm-hmm. like, well, okay then. <laughs> yeah. Nathan, uh, can we get a vibes report from this Switzerland Serbia match? <laughs> yeah, I um I can't wait to re-listen to this podcast and actually hear what Casey was talking about because I uh, unfortunately got my uh, attention fully pulled away. This is why you shouldn't podcast with your TV on. Um, we should say it is um, 3.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on, on Friday, and it is the second half of the Switzerland-Serbia game, and it looks like Granit Xhaka, I'm assuming, probably said something that was ethnically not appropriate towards the Serbian bench because there appeared to be a... Um, a real, a real row that was about to happen um, between Switzerland and Serbia. They, a lot of people were screaming with their mouths covered with their hands, so as to not, you know, let the lip readers see what they're saying. Um, yeah, it's it's getting pretty pretty chippy right now. Yeah, <laughs> I thought neutral, because Granit Zaka has, ne- yeah. has never caused any sort of incident between <laughs> um, Switzerland and Serbia at any point in the past. Um, Definitely not. Not really. No. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, is Casey like a Twitter Arsenal fan now? He's out here defending Granite Jack. <laughs> no, I think that might have been... I don't, know, I don't know if that was well. defense. <laughs> <laughs> that was defense. Right. I, did my, I did my sarcasm wrong. Uh, <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we will keep, I guess, updates on that game. But uh, for now, uh, this, we're going to end part one. And then part two, we're going to talk a little bit about Manchester United players of the World Cup. and. Um, potentially other Manchester United things that will evolve from that conversation. So stay tuned. All right, we're back for part two. Um, I, I would say this World Cup has been pretty good vibes for Manchester United players. Would you Would you guys agree with that? Yeah, I'd say it's decent. I think, obviously, Rashford, as we kind of mentioned in the first half, is that a good one? Bruno Fernandes has had a good one. Uh, I think Shaw has. Maguire's had a good one, given that. I mean, Varane's kind of just come back. I'm, I, I'm, is this just going to be listing off United players? Casemiro? Casemiro's had a good one. Uh, yeah, but then obviously, like, he just went out before. Uh, I don't think Fecundo Pellistri. I mean, he got selected, which was a shocker, but I don't think he's really right. um, painted himself in sort of glory this World Cup. That miss was really bad. Um, they could have made it 3-0. And it didn't really seem important to me at the time because I hadn't uh, realized that South Korea, uh, the, the implications of that game mattered, um, that 
they were winning and Uruguay just needed the one more goal. But yeah, that was that was not very good. I think his selection might also say something about the talent pool that Uruguay has um, behind their generation of strikers um, in attack. It, it doesn't look super promising, but um, I mean, they've still, they've still got really good players in some other positions, so we'll see going forward. But um, yeah, I I also want to add the, the Bruno Fernandez goal with the, the whole Harry Kane situation, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo trying to claim it. That that just felt like a really good, like justification for everything that I've felt over the last couple of weeks. I, re- I really over to just the last year when it comes to Cristiano Ronaldo, his attitude and his production on the pitch. I mean, if you want one for his production on the pitch, just just watch any the many highlights of his game today. That was horrendous. I didn't even watch most of it. I just saw like I saw obviously most people were talking about it, and I saw a few of the misses, and I was like. What what is what is the point? Like there was one where he had a diving header in front of the net, and he somehow managed to not get it on target. I don't even know. I like I watched the clip about three times and sent it to some people, and I was like, "Can you tell me how he didn't get this on target?" Because he has all the time in the world. And like, yeah, I think it, that that goal aside, I think Bruno Fernando. I I don't particularly want to talk about Ronaldo that much. Like I I I'm I, I already kind of like sick to death of him and I was sick to death of him way before I had to like I had the actual opportunity to just go I don't want to talk anymore <laughs> <laughs> so I, I just feel like it, it has been Bruno Fernandes' tournament for Portugal I think I think he has been by far their best player and he's been by far the reason they're actually in the position that they're in as much as Twitter wants to make it look like it's not that's not the case or at least wants to kind of Say, oh, he's been good, but um, no, he's just been good. He's just been their best player. I think when Rafael Leal's come on, he's looked really good, but obviously he's not started, so I can't really say he's been their best player. But I do mm-hmm. think that like Bruno Fernandes, this tournament has been exceptional. I think he hasn't really been that wasteful on the ball, especially when they've gone later into games and they've kind of turned into a bit more of a transitional team where they've actually had like Leal on, they've had Felix on, they've had um, for sometimes they've had Gonzalo Ramos on when they've just been a bit more direct, him running into space and finding these passes has been really useful for them. And I think he's been had a really good tournament so far. Yeah, Nathan, I mean, we'll know that just him talking with Polly and I about the way it seems like Bruno Fernandes and Ronaldo just kind of bump into each other whenever they play together. Um, watching some of those first couple of goals, I think the one that Rafael Leao finished off especially, it kind of felt like watching that fun Manchester United team that had just gotten Bruno Fernandez and suddenly they had this guy who could be the focal point of their counterattacks. Yeah. And, and watching Bruno so far, it, it definitely has felt a little, little ollieball. Um And I believe, wasn't it in the first game too? He had a really nice ball to Jao Felix um, mm-hmm. that Jao finished as well. And I, I think I had tweeted out, you know, um, let's get you out of the theater. I want to see something real fast. Um, it, it is. We we talked about this pre World Cup. It is amazing what Portugal probably could accomplish this tournament if they didn't feel like they had to count out Ronaldo. Um, the creative players that they have on that team and the different vantage points that they could attack you from if they didn't have to square the ball centrally uh, to a guy that has you know one note. Um, left in his in his instrument, um, 
Felix, Leal, Bernardo Silva, Bruno Fernandez. You've got two great attacking fullbacks in Dallow and and Cancelo. Like this team is, it, it feels like they're playing with a restrictor plate, really. Um, and that's Ronaldo. And you've got people who just are not going to recognize that because they don't want to, or you know, because they'd rather be right about their goat conversation than just seeing that people age. And so they're going to keep saying that Ronaldo needs to play. And, you know, for people who are a little bit more casual too, you've got, at least here in America, the broadcast still sit there and go down to the zipper on Ronaldo. And so you would think that he's still the best player in the world, the way Alexi Lalas and uh, friends talk about him. And it's just like, I don't know what you guys are watching. I, I, I understand, you know, I will be, I'm willing to take the L and say that he stinks. And then he scores an 89th minute winner. It's like, all right, cool. Yeah. He did the thing that he does. Um, but like for the first 89 minutes, I don't know what he offers. So I'm glad, I'm glad he's not a part of our lives anymore. And the sooner the world comes over, we really don't have to talk about him. Um, but I think that this is a really cool coming out stage for, for Bruno. And if he has a couple of games like he had in the group in the knockout stages, then, you know, he would be the guy everybody would be linking to Manchester United if he wasn't already a player. So it's very exciting. I'm excited for him because he's one of my favorite players. And so I want to, I want him to have a good tournament anyway. So it's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I do. I do want to say on like a, on, on the Bernardo selection thing and stuff, but like I do kind of get it why you get these still plays from like, it, it's annoying in logic, but like one, it's an international manager. He's going to pick his favorites. He still plays Danilo Pereira, who I think stinks. Like I, I don't. I genuinely don't like that. I, I, well, I personally do not think he's that good. But I will allow other people to have opinions on him. If I think those opinions are wrong, I'm not going to specify. Um, but um, in in general, he has his favorites, and I feel like when I have been to Portugal, and this isn't a lot, and it's probably not been for a few years. There is the feeling of there is still like this feeling of idolism with Ronaldo. Like you can have a conversation with anyone in Portugal about football, and the first thing is like I was like I was in a store for Benfica for Benfica, nothing to do with Ronaldo club level, like completely separate, like sporting obviously rivals within Lisbon. Um, and he and he went. United, and he went, oh, oh, so uh, Jose Mourinho. And I was like, oh, yeah. I was like, Jose, so Porto. I was like, yeah, 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 he's good. Like, we love Jose. Like, Jose's in our hearts always. It's like, we love what he's doing. And the thing is, like, he represents Portugal on every stage. And then I was like, oh, okay. And he went, and, and, and I was, of course, you know, it's like, Cristiano. Cristiano. It's like, best player ever. It's like, best player. It's like, uh, it could do anything. It's like, I'm like, Okay, it's like at this point he's not come back to United, so I'm just there, just like, can I just have a look at the Eusebio shirts, you know, over there? Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, but it, it's, it's, it, I, I kind of want to talk to some people like that. It's like I always get the feeling of like I understand the managers in that really weird point where if you went, oh, I'm not playing Ronaldo, and they lost, they'd be like, well, you have to play Ronaldo. It's like you've got to play Ronaldo. It's like it's. it's I feel like and we got that with punditry here as well. Like that's just seems to be the general vibe. And I, but I feel like everyone else has kind of moved on to now being like, okay, yeah, fair enough. You didn't play him. Like we understand you wanted to do this, but in Portugal, I feel like there's still that just die hard, just like play him, 
play him and let him do the thing he is good at, that he has been good at for so the entirety of his career, but not really the entire his career. Anyway, so yeah, I, I kind of get his, 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 a little bit of it. And it's international management. In general, like people, selection in international management makes no sense. Like you could be like, oh, this team makes sense on form. And then there's that left back. Like, what? what why is he there? But yeah. Are you talking about so, Alex Tellers? I like how you completely made to a point of just like, I hadn't thought of a name, but yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it's, it's, it's a weird one. Um, but yeah, I, in the slight defense of like the, the manager, I feel like that kind of does come into his thinking. Um, and I also like, everyone's like, oh yeah, because Ronaldo doesn't moan with him because he respects him. If he didn't play him in a World Cup match, he would respect him very less very quickly. You could tell by the way that this has gone with the new manager. Yeah. So. I think it's interesting the I mean the club has obviously embraced the sort of Portuguese connection that Manchester United has with, you know, Bruno Dallo and then Ronaldo until recently. And Cristiano Ronaldo is obviously a really big part of that because of his heroics and his first stint. Um but because before that I don't think United really had Portuguese players, but historically they tried to take it all the way back to El Beetle and you know George Best and that team playing against Benfica and those uh European Cup clashes and then in the final at Wembley. Um it kind of seems like United is always going to have some sort of legacy in, in Portugal, whether they continue to have Portuguese players or not. But it is really exciting that Bruno Fernandes can potentially be that continuation of that relationship. Uh, I know uh, Nathan, you mentioned Joao Felix. Um I, I'm expecting to get many more United report tweets about hundred million pound links or whatever over the next couple of months if this form continues. Bring bring yeah. me well, out. And, he he's one of like <laughs> four or five players that we're all gonna you know we're gonna be linked with. We we always knew that was gonna be the case with the World Cup anyway. Like any player that played somewhat well, you know, there'd be some shitty link from some newspaper you'd never heard of, but everybody would jump on it because transfer rumors do engagement. Um, but th- there are a couple guys that would be really sweet for United to sign that we're already being linked with. You know, we can um, in post pull up the uh, Carl clip of talking about uh, Cody Gakbo at any point as well. Like we all think he's pretty neat. Um, <laughs> I'm already ready for us to get rid of our sound transfer policies and put all of our money towards the, the Gakpo train, but uh, instead of continuing to fix the midfield, like we started doing with Casemiro. Um, with Ronaldo gone, you know, I feel like the vibes are back. So all of a sudden I'm kind of excited about what could we do in a transfer window? I know it, if you're being realistic and you, I think we all need to be, um, they're not going to back the Brinks truck up in January uh, well, we don't know who's gonna. Be... We don't know who's gonna fill the Brinks, the Brinks truck in, in January. Well, I don't. I, there's no way Manchester United sells by the time the January transfer window happens, and I don't think the Glazers are going to take on any additional debt uh, or just you know start hoofing money towards a team that they didn't care about to begin with. But now they they're about to not own it. Um, but I do, I do, I do always we... take the point though with that. Sorry, I was, so I was going to say with the, just onto the point of like their own money and stuff is like they've never put their own money in. So if they're spending the money, they're spending the club's money. It's not like they're going to go, oh yeah, we're selling the club and we're also taking this entire like transfer budget out with us. Like they're just going to sell the club. So I feel like 
if we have money to spend in the club and within the club's like pockets, I feel like they can't take it out without taking dividends. So unless they're like, oh yeah, we're selling and here's a massive dividend, <laughs> then I feel like we do have some funds that they are willing to spend. I just wonder how much, how much of the the money that could have been stowed away for January and then summer twenty twenty three went away when all of a sudden they had to go buy Anthony and they had to go buy Casemiro, because um, I mean that was close to two hundred million right there. Um, granted, those are starting; those are those were good transfers i think so far so i don't think that was money not well spent it's just it makes you wonder how much money is there to spend uh and cody gakbo is going to be more expensive than what he was supposed to be in the summer so that's an unfortunate reality that we're going to have to swallow as well if he's the player that united still want and that ten hog still wants um and i don't think there's any reason to believe that he's not wanted by those two entities it's just going to be 30, 40, 50 million more expensive unless Rude Van Nistelrooy wants to hook us up with a sweetheart deal like Edwin Van Der Sar likes to do. Yeah. I I mean, my heart is still telling me Anthony Martial, you know, this will be his time to shine again. But uh, my brain is telling me it seems like he's had more soft tissue injuries than he's had starts this season. And um, availability is still uh, the best ability in that regard. But when he gets on the field, yeah, the vibes the vibes will be good again. This is definitely a big what could have been season, I think, for for Martial. Just especially now that he doesn't have somebody in front of him like Ronaldo. Like, I'm, please, I'm still going to make a point that. Please get healthy. I, I think I think with Gakpo, um, if we do, were to pick him up, the more I watch him, the more I'm like he is a left winger. Like, there's no point playing him through the middle. Like, even Depay called him out for how much his hold-up play was, which Van Gaal didn't take kindly to. And he was like, oh, he's like, whether he wants to make those comments again um, is is whether we think that's wise or not. And I was like, okay. But I was like, you didn't say he was wrong. Um, his hold-up play is not great. And that's kind of what we've been looking for in a striker who kind of links it up. He's very much like gets the ball, is into a shooting position and shoots. So I feel like I've always kind of like thought in my head if we do end up on the thing, and this might end up being bad for Sancho, is the the long and short of it is that he's a left winger, uh, and then behind him Sancho or Garnacho, depending on where both of them are in terms of training and stuff and where their impact is on the pitch. Uh, right hand side, Anthony. Uh, whether that ends up because the thing is, is that's we we've we've kind of always seemed to buy recently non specialists. There's not like a player in our team where you're like, he is a left winger. He is never playing anywhere but left wing. He just plays left wing. It's not like, it's like oh yeah, we'll just go with, I don't know, Sancho left wing, Rashford striker. Oh, sorry, um, Martial striker, Rashford right wing. Or next match, let's go with um, Sancho right wing, Rashford up front, Ilanga. Like, we just kind of throw everyone everywhere. It's like, okay, eventually we'll find one that actually works nicely. Um, that's but that's FIFA think career mode thinking right there. <laughs> it is. Thinking with portals, um, but yeah, I the more I watch him, the more I'm like, he is definitely the guy that you that gets space on the left hand side, like Anthony does, or Anthony does on the right and kind of cuts in and shoots. He's not the guy you put in the middle to go receive the ball with his back to go, get someone else into the play, turn, run like Martial 
has done in his very limited appearances, Rashford has done in his time as a striker. So I feel like the way that I think that this is going to go, if we do get Gakpo, which I don't know if we're going to get Gakpo, it just kind of seems to be like, that's the one that's the top of the, the, the list of tip, like rumours. And like obviously there was already the Lincoln Summer. He's already commented on how he had conversations with Ten Hag in summer. Um, but I feel like it would be Rashford and Martial as the striker kind of unit, um, personally. How are we uh, feeling about Rashford as the center forward nowadays? Because it, it seems like it, it's every other year, uh, he's better on the wing, or this year, oh man, he's he's actually doing pretty good up the middle. Like, because I know it probably his best position is if we ever did some kind of system that required inside forwards. Um, so that way he can both kind of hang out on the wing and also be central and just freelance there. But if we're doing kind of a more traditional three-man front line, he's definitely looked better this year centrally than he has maybe last year comparatively. Uh, I think part of that is still that Ten Hag has been very willing to play to his strengths. Um, and, you know, he's played centrally a little bit out of necessity with Martial, Hurt, and then you know, kind of trying to make a statement with Ronaldo coming into the season about missing time, not showing up for preseason, et cetera. Um, that's, that's not to say that it, it was luck that it worked out, that Rashford has played well centrally, but I think it, it's still maybe not the sustainable kind of forward play that Tenog would be looking for. Um, although it is promising that Rashford has played well and continued to play well for England in multiple roles uh, along the front line. Yeah, I think in terms of how he's been playing for United, um, he's definitely making similar runs that he does on the left wing just centrally. He's he's still, if you notice a lot of his runs in behind um, when he's playing up front, he kind of like arcs in from the left-hand side and like runs across. And it kind of obviously sets up him to hit across and out with his right foot. Um, but he, do, he used to just do that like further off to the left and he kind of been doing it centrally. But I feel like he's he's improved his general striker play. I think obviously he, we, he didn't really score headers by like obviously the famous one he got against Arsenal in his like Premier League debut. He's not really big on the headers, but he's been getting some into good headed positions. He's scored some headers and he's actually looks like he's getting to the right positions. So, and, I, and, I, and a lot of credit I think is to do, and people have obviously been saying it kind of as a joke, but a lot of players have also said it. It's like Benny McCarthy's been doing a lot with him. Like, he's been, like, properly going to him. And I feel like you can tell from the likes of, like, Martial and Rashford and some of the others and how they take goals. Like, Ganacho, uh, I thought when he took his goal against Sociedad, that was a really good goal because if you watch it, you see him go put his head up, look how the keeper's expecting him to hit it, and hits it differently, and that's like I'm like, well, that's just, that's his coach going, do that, like just make sure you think about these things while you're doing it. I've kind of accidentally made a cross with my hands while I was kind of gesticulating then, um, <clears throat> but and obviously, like that's something I hopefully will see with the young forwards because I think Benny McCarthy's obviously a good coach. He was a very good striker. He was a very good striker as the sort of thing of his awareness of how to play the game was very good. Like, he knew where to position himself in the box. He knew how to take a shot when he got them. Um, he may not have been, like, the most mercurial forward in the world, but he was like, I know what I'm good at. I'm going to be the best at what I'm good at. So and He was in a I'm lot of teams, that. too, where, like, 
the kind of role he had to play was a lot more than just being, you know, finish off these chances. He was having to do a lot of work off the ball and in defense as well, which it seems like, you know, for what you want from modern forwards, that that's the kind of perspective you want them listening to. Yeah. I think, I think that I've always, I've, like I've always said this about coaches and, uh, and obviously, always everyone always goes on about like, oh, these players are these players are fantastic players. Like when they go into management, I'm always like, if you ever watch like a player just who's was re- it's a big thing with Henri. I think I, I always notice it really with Henri. It's Henri's criticism of players, and I don't know why. Then this kind of maybe extends into him being a coach for Belgium and them not being able to finish any of the chances. But we'll we'll, we'll probably get to that at some point. Um, <laughs> is he always seems to explain it like, oh, we should have just done this. He's like, I would have hit it like that. And I'm like, yeah, but you, 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 you were one of the best forwards I've ever seen play football. Like, of course you would have done that. It's like, okay, but what if he can't do that? What if he can't, he doesn't have like the speed to like quickly look up, notice where the, the goalkeeper's kind of like acting and then just like flick it over him and put it in the net. What if he can't do that consistently? What does he do then? What what else would you say, Henri? And he's just like, I would have just done that. I'm like, that's not a good way to approach it. And I think that's the thing with Benny McCarthy is he's, you can tell he's a striker that had to kind of learn the game to suit him rather than the game just came to him. And I think that's kind of helps when you're a coach or you become a coach. Yeah. All right. I think um, that's probably going to have to do it for the podcast today. But Casey, thank you so much for joining us. Um, uh, thank you. You didn't even let me get into my Luis Suarez run. No, no, it was funny to see him go out. But yeah. <laughs> we're, we're saving that Save for, for the if, Patreon. Yeah. <laughs> if we can get Carl on the podcast, I, I'm going to give him the floor for that. But um, yeah, we um, we are going to have some coverage tomorrow for the Man United women as they pick back up. Um so be on the lookout for that. We're going to live tweet it as well, uh, even though I think it, it may overlap with the U.S. game. I guess I'll find out. But uh, yeah, thanks for listening. And uh, we'll be back sometime next week.